our uh, digital Bible and open to Mark 2, Mark 2. Uh, I, I'm honored to get to preach in Jody's pulpit. Can I say it that way? Uh, and uh, I'm so excited that the Lord partnered you together. Uh, and I'm excited that uh, this is pretty much a two-year anniversary for him. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the other pieces of your ministry team, your outreach to the Hispanic community, heart for missions, whether it's in Honduras or Africa. And I'm excited about the, the, the future focus. You'll be refining your mission and vision uh, as you go forward over these next couple of weeks, and it's already begun a little bit. So don't take that as unimportant. It was interesting when, when I received the call about coming, uh, I had two things on my heart possibly to preach, and then when I talked with, with Jody and Leonard, uh, it became really clear that this is the passage. You guys have been in Mark, but Jody didn't preach on this, uh, this passage, and uh, it's a, a perfect passage for where you are today. So I'm going to ask you to listen. Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our hearts to hear your message so that Jesus' truth can be more than just something that sticks in the gray matters of our brain, but that it reaches our hearts and it moves us to use our hands to be like the four friends we read about today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark 2, verse 1. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum. And the news quickly spread that he was back in town. Soon, so many people crowded inside the house to hear Jesus that there was no more room, not even outside the door. While Jesus was preaching the word of God, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man. But when they realized they couldn't even get near him because of the crowd, they went up on top of the house and they tore away the roof above Jesus' head. And when they had broken through, they lowered the paralyzed man on a stretcher right down in front of him. And when Jesus saw the extent of their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Ah, my son, your sins are forgiven you. This offended some of the religious scholars who were present, and they reasoned among themselves, who does, he think this, who does he think he is to speak this way? This is blasphemy for sure. Only God himself can forgive sins. Jesus supernaturally perceived their thoughts and said to them, why are you being so skeptical? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are now forgiven or stand up and walk? Hmm. But to convince you that the Son of Man has been given authority to forgive sins, I say to this man, stand up, pick up your stretcher, walk home. Immediately, the man sprang to his feet in front of everyone and left for home. 
when the crowds witnessed this miracle, they were awestruck. They shouted praises to God and said, we have never seen anything like this before. Now, everybody but your facilities folks would love for this to happen today, wouldn't they? It'd be amazing. And I know what about half the folks in here would be doing, right? They'd be grabbing their phone and instead of looking at it happening, they'd be trying to take a selfie so that they could post it on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or something like that because it would be an amazing event. But Mark didn't just include this to tell us an amazing story about Jesus. The Holy Spirit led him to include this because there's a message about us in this story. And that's where it gets interesting. Now, our first clue that this uh, miracle story, this episode in the life of Jesus is not just floating along by itself. It's this little phrase, several days later. Several days later. He's connecting this to this, the episode just before where a man with leprosy, covered with leprosy, broke the law of Moses and he ran and he fell before Jesus. He didn't holler unclean or unclean or any of that stuff in the law. He fell before Jesus because he was desperate. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus saw this leper and his heart was moved deeply, stirred deeply. He was filled with compassion for the man and anger at the disease. And you remember what he did? He touched the man. Jesus broke the law of Moses, or at least reframed the law of Moses, and he touched the man. He didn't heal him with a touch. He healed him with his word. He touched the man. He shared his uncleanness. He shared his rejection. The same thing he would do on the cross as he carried our sins. He shared all that, and then he said, I am willing to be clean. Now go show yourself to the priest and make an offering that is uh, what is required by the law of Moses. But instead, he did what Jesus told him not to do. He went out and told everybody. And so great crowds suddenly appeared. And Jesus couldn't go to the cities anymore because the crowds were so great and the people that needed his ministry couldn't get to him. And so it's that big crush of the crowds that connects these stories that are so different because in one is the faith of a man that gets him to Jesus. This story is different than that. But the crowds are there. Now, if you listen to the Gospel of Mark, to be a part of the crowd is not a complimentary thing. The crowds are fickle. They can yell, Hosanna, Hosanna, hail, son of David. Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they can throw their cloaks down and they can put palm branches down and they can welcome him into Jerusalem one week and the next week they can be yell, yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That's the crowd. The crowd is always looking to make sure church is the way they want it or synagogue or religious experience. And if they like it, they're thrilled. They're ecstatic. That's literally what the word amazed at the end of this story is. They were ecstatic. 
Didn't say they believed. They were convicted. They were moved with compassion. But the question is, is the problem that there were just too many people? Is that the problem in this story? Or was it there were just not enough of the right kind of people? Who when they came for their version of church, came to help get people to Jesus instead of going to see if they got the show they wanted. Hmm. We think about that very long, makes our underwear a little too tight, so the preacher better move along. So let's dig a little deeper. So the question is, how will this man who's been long paralyzed, how, how is he going to get to Jesus? Because that's the real problem. The problem is not the people. The problem is the man with the need. How are they going to get him to the people? And how are the people going to help the man get to Jesus? And even more, how will Jesus heal him? How is he going to heal this man if he doesn't see him? Well, we have a couple of innovative friends, four men carrying this paralyzed guy, which is a pretty good clue about their heart already, right? They're carrying their buddy. And they get there, and they can't get close. So they just take a little stair steps on the outside of the house, and they dig through the mud and the thatch and the sticks and then break through, and they drop this guy in the middle of everybody. And I love this picture because so, so few pictures capture what I see happening in the ministry of Jesus. But you understand, they didn't have electric lights. It was dark in that room, and it was stinky in that room, and there were people wall to wall in that room. And when they begin to lower that man, all of a sudden the shaft sunlight starts coming down and in the dust and the particles of straw and everything's dancing in the air and they lower this guy through and the focus of everybody in that room is on Jesus in that moment. The first thing that happens is Jesus sees four heads bobbing around in the sunlight. And it says, he sees their faith, not the man's faith. This man is not healed because of his faith. This man is going to be healed because of the friend's faith, to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus. And so Jesus said, in that dramatic moment, with every eye peeled, what's he going to do? Is he going to do a miracle like we've heard he's done other places? Is he going to do something amazing here? And Jesus shocks them. My son, your sins are forgiven you. Well, who can forgive sins but God alone? This is one of many times that I kind of visualize Jesus going, yeah, you're right. Only God can forgive sins. My son, your sins are forgiven you. It's kind of the irony of the Holy Spirit to kind of twist the knife a little bit and say, that's the point. Get the point. But Jesus goes a step further and says, to show you that the Son of Man, and that's the theme in the first uh, seven chapters of Mark, the powerful Son of Man, the chapters 11 through 16 are the suffering servant Son of Man. We 
heard for communion one of the six servant songs in Isaiah that talk about Jesus and what he would endure on the cross for our sake. Mark splits it in two pieces. And this is the powerful son of man. To let you know I have power on earth, forgive sins, stand up and walk. And the guy grabbed his thing and walked. Can you imagine that? How cool that would be? What would be the expression of those four friends looking over that hole in the roof, seeing what's going on below? You think they met him when he came out of that house? You think they were high-fiving, shouting hallelujah? You think they were worried about doing things decently and in order at that moment? I don't think so. This is a hallelujah moment. And then the crowd pops up, and they're thrilled too. They praise God and said, we have never, ever seen anything like this before. I know it's the prayer of everybody who puts together a, an assembly of God's people. Worship service, what we call it. The folks would go home and say, God was really here today. We've never experienced anything quite like this before. Because if you don't, you're going to hear about it. <laughs> right? crowd's going to let you know if it's not up to snuff, if it's not up to standards. So when we start digging around in this story, you'll notice there are three different groups, right? In, in, this is not Phil's creation. This is the Holy Spirit's creation. There are three different groups in this story. And, and, and Mark gives us this story to challenge us to say, which of these three groups am I really in? The first group we see is the crowd. And the crowd is in the way. It's not that they're bad people. They just are in it for themselves. They're not looking after the needs of other people around them. We don't hear about anybody else having brought their friends to Jesus. They're there because they want what's going to be offered. And I'm going to say something, this may make some of you mad. And if it makes you upset, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit incubate with you for a while. But we live in a time where church is dying because of consumer Christianity. Did I get what I want? Did we sing the songs that I like? Was the sermon too long? Was it too short? Did they use too many stories? Did they quote enough scripture? Did they do this or do that? Did the elders talk too much? Did we stand up too much? Did we sing 7-Eleven songs, you know, Seven words and we repeat it 11 times. Or did we sing some old hymns and we go away and it's all about us. So let me get a little nastier. How do you know if you're in the crowd? Ever parked in a guest parking place? Well, I was running late. Uh-oh, gone to meddling there. When somebody you didn't know asked where a Bible class was or where the auditorium was, did you point? Or did you say, well, let me take you. You meet somebody new that's here for the first time, and you're excited and glad, and you give them 
your name. They give you your name, and you kind of say, the auditorium's over here. Did you walk them in and sit with them? Have you ever told somebody, that's my seat? Oh, I've gone to meddling now. But when church becomes about us, it can't be about Jesus. Isn't that right? Did I get my itch scratched? Did I get my bacon sizzled this morning? So I want to challenge you. If you're going to be praying for one to come to Christ, that's somebody that you know that's not a Christian, that needs to come to Jesus then be a person that helps anybody else that brings their one to church. Feel welcome and apart. Well, if that's the crowd, who are the critics? And surely I'm not a critic. When I went with, on the first date with my wife, Donna, my car had the starter go out. And my roommate, we were on the golf team together at Abilene Christian. My roommate was the son of a vice president of an oil company. And he had a brand new blue Trans Am Pontiac Firebird with the big Firebird off the car. And I picked up my wife for our first date in a Pontiac Firebird. In fact, I picked her up the first two dates in that thing. And on top of that, she looked me up in the hello book that says what freshman majors were, and I was pre-med. She thought she had hit the jackpot. <laughs> and she grew up, and she, she told everybody, I will never be a school teacher. She's a retired school teacher now. And she said, I will never marry a preacher. <laughs> and do you know Why? Because every Sunday for lunch, they had barbecue youth minister and fricasseed preacher. People wonder why their kids don't love the church when all they've heard is what's wrong at church and what's going wrong among the ministry and what's wrong about what the preacher said and what's wrong about the youth ministry. And then they wonder why their kids think only bad things. See, if you'd be a critic... Because everybody in here is just as sinful as the person that you saw in the mirror this morning. They got as many flaws as you do, and so it's easy to find the flaws. The real question is, how do we move from being a critic to being a part of this last group, the committed? How do we become a part of that group? And if we listen to the story, folks that are committed to friends, folks that are committed to the lost, folks that are committed to those that are seeking, there's some things that the the episode tells us. You put this one with the last one, and one of the things we know from just those two stories, but it happens all throughout the Gospels, Jesus always chooses people above protocol. Isn't that right? Always. The church runs long and somebody's healed or saved. Who cares? It's a good day. The angels in heaven are dancing whether we're happy or not. Jesus always chose people over protocol. He touched the leper. He, he took care of the man. He forgave his sins and he healed them both. 
Second thing you'll notice is that if we're going to be a part of the committed, the committed choose compassion above comfort, and they do it always. Now, compassion is not feeling sorry for somebody. That's pity. Compassion is not crying at sad stuff in movies. Compassion that doesn't have action is just pity. Compassion leads us to do something. And a committed person is going to do everything they can to get people to Jesus. No matter what. I saw a story two nights ago on the news. It's about a young couple, and when they begin to date, on the third date, the, the young lady told the guy, you may not want to date me a long time. I can't have children. I was born without a uterus. But he loved her anyway. And they got married. Several years ago, they heard about a place in Plano that had the first successful uterine transplant. So they sold their house and one of their cars and all of their furniture and gave up their jobs and they moved to Plano and she got on the transplant list. They went in. They were only able to find five viable eggs but they implanted those one after another and not until the fifth one did she become pregnant she was committed to have a family now my kids chose a different route they couldn't have kids they've adopted two and we're waiting on the third through the foster care program they're committed You know the difference between being involved and committed. I know you all know that story, right? Some of you are smiling. You already know it. If you had scrambled eggs and bacon and toast for breakfast, you realize that the wheat and the pig were committed. (laughs) The chicken was just involved. Okay? So the real question is whether we're going to be part of the committed And we live to see people come to Jesus. And the final piece of this is Jesus calls us to heal by saving the whole person. Now, there are two words for healing, and I don't want to go into Greek lesson and all that, but one has to do with just making you physically well, and that's used about half the time. There's another one that the translators don't know whether to translate save or heal. But it's used for both. And that's what Jesus does here. He saves. He saves the whole person. Those of you that remember the old cheesy movie Titanic and Rose going, he saved me in every way a person can be saved, that's what sozo really means. It saves the whole person. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what he does to this man. He saves the whole person. Now, 30 years ago when I preached... And we were all about sharing with people how they needed to come to Christ but weren't so good about ministering to emotional needs. I would have to emphasize the healing part. Today, it's a lot easier to get people to go and do kind things and compassionate things for others, but they don't ever get around to talking about Jesus. 
We got to do both, brothers and sisters. That's what compassion is. We got to do both. When I was uh, in middle school, my dad taught the college students at Highland and Abilene. And the preacher there was named Mid, and he told a story about four freshman girls that had heard about a woman, an African-American woman in the worst part of Abilene, that had lost one of her feet and amputated below the knee uh, on her other leg because of diabetes, and she was severely, severely limited. Her sight was bad, and, and she was just she was dying. She knew she was dying. So they went in, and every week that school was in session, they cooked her meals that were healthy, they cleaned her place, they washed her clothes, and they helped her take a bath. Incredible. Incredible. But about three years after they started in their senior year, the lady passed away. And they went to Mid and said, would you do the funeral? And he said, yes. What can you tell me about their relationship with, her relationship with Jesus? When did she confess Christ? When was she baptized? And they were dumbstruck. They didn't know. They never talked about that. We've got to be both. That's what this story is about, isn't it? And that's what this church is making a move for. I hope if I get to come back in two more years, there's some chairs out in the foyer and the doors are open. The place is even more packed. Because crowds are good if the crowds are full of the committed. Crowds are a problem if the crowd is the crowd or the critic. And we get to choose. In fact, that's what I'm going to challenge you to talk about in your life groups tonight is how do I know which one of these I am and how can I be more committed to my one? So this morning, I want to challenge you who is your one. And I don't want you to be confused. I'm going to make this as clear as I can be. Your one needs to be somebody that is lost outside Christ, doesn't know Jesus. Now, there's ways to find them. You're going to have somebody probably wait on you if you go out to eat. You've got somebody at the convenience store you see every day. You've got friends that you work with. You can find your one anywhere. But I want to challenge you to start praying for your one every day and make a commitment that you're going to do whatever it takes, even if it means digging a hole in the roof to get them to Jesus or scooting over in church and making room for them on the end of the aisle or showing them where class is or helping them find the visitor's parking place and don't treat them like a visitor, but welcome them as a guest. Because God's got even better stuff in store because he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine by his power at work within us. So I'm going to ask Jody to come bring it home. We're going to focus on our one. I've got a one card. You're going to get a one card. I promise you I will have at least one name on my one card. Hopefully a year from now, these empty spaces will be filled with our ones.
a stack. And I spent all week praying about that myself. And I've done some wrestling, I've done some praying, and I've done some thinking. And I realized that if I were asking this question in Greenville, Texas, where I grew up, there is a lot of lost people that I could think of that I could really invest in. But being in Longview, being a minister, trying to get to know you, and trying to get to know other people in this community... Um, most of the people that I know are already Christians. So it's been challenging to me to think about who do I know in this community, who am I connected with, as Phil's mentioned some this morning, that don't know Christ. And who is one person that I can intentionally begin investing a relationship in, taking them to lunch, praying for them, and trying to...